Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm David Breer, CEO here at 11FS. In this very special episode, we want to bring you some exclusive conversations with our 11FS Hall of Famers for 2023. The 11FS Hall of Fame celebrates the people shaping our industry for the better. This was a key part of our 11FS awards, really identifying the key movers and shakers that made the industry what it is today. Our cohort all made a big impact. They've given back to the ecosystem or community, exhibited strong values of innovation, resilience, teamwork, and boldness, and have launched products and services or offerings where the industry had to follow. Simply put, these people have brought us a step closer to the future of financial services. Our Hall of Famers for 2023 are Sopandu Mahanti, Chief Fintech Officer of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, Anne Bowden, founder of Starling Bank, and Satoyo Lapokowit, Managing Director of Mpesa Africa. It is an absolute pleasure to bring you today a mashup of interviews, digging into their fantastic achievements, how they did it, and what they're really most proud of. I really hope you enjoy this show. You'll hear fantastic conversations with our global Hall of Famers, Sopandu Mahanti and Satoya Lapokowit. Unfortunately, we were not able to get time in with Amboda, and she's a pretty hard lady to pin down these days. She was last seen, apparently, hanging out with Hillary Clinton. Pretty cool. We hope to catch her soon in the new year and hear what she's been up to since leaving Stalin. First off, we're going to start with Sopandu Mahanti. Sopandu has really set the standard for world-leading regulation through the work that he's done at Maz. He has changed the ways of working and even developed the role of the regulator itself to allow for greater innovation and to support the change in the Asian financial services systems. We caught up remotely before the awards. Let's hear from him now. It is an absolute pleasure to be joined by Sopandu Mahanti, who is the Chief Fintech Officer for the Monetary Authority of Singapore. How are you doing today, Sopandu? Thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely great. And good to see you. Good to see you. Looking forward to talk to you. Very good. Well, uh, I mean, I should start with probably uh, a, a bit of an introduction to you, really. I mean, it would be good for you, maybe for anybody who's been living under a rock for the last 10 years of uh, what the Monetary Authority of Singapore is. And, and actually, tell us a little bit more about your role as, as Chief Fintech Officer within a regulator. Well, uh, my role as a Chief Fintech Officer in a single line, if I have to say, it is about creating uh, development strategies, building public infrastructure, thinking about policies where technology is driving innovation. And of course, a lot of partnership with the ecosystem, building the ecosystem. It has been a remarkable journey. In fact, I've never contained myself to this role as it was defined seven years back. So it has always evolved. Very much so. And for, for the Monetary Authority of Singapore, I mean, you guys have gone through a, an amazing journey to, to get to the the very vibrant ecosystem that you've got today when it comes to fintech, when it comes to financial services more broadly. But I mean, that's a that's a heck of a journey you've been on. Absolutely. It has been an absolute privilege for me because, you know, every day I wake up, I look forward to this job. It is It has been a privilege to work with the ecosystem, friends like yourself. I meet my peers who are equally excited about what we do together. My bosses are quite kind enough to allow me to do what I want to do. And, and I think that's a privilege I treasure for the last seven years a lot. And, and, and one of the reasons why we see a collective success from this market, because everybody has chipped in. Everybody has chipped in. And they really made it a truly uh, combined effort to, to and fix this foundational issue in our life, get the financial services right into our 
uh, ecosystem in the way it should be. Well, uh, the reason that we're having the the conversation today is you've been named amongst the 11FS Hall of Fame cohort for 2023. It's uh, hopefully a a great accolade for you and and actually the 11FS awards that are going to be in November. So I probably should start this whole thing with congratulations, really. You know, getting that recognition from the industry uh, hopefully means a lot. Thanks, you. Thank you. Thanks for uh, at least thinking about me. And it's a it is a deep honor for me to uh, get recognized, uh, especially from uh, from the ecosystem where you operate. In in fact, all of us do look up to the the UK ecosystem uh, when it comes to fintech. And given it has come from you all, and it's a it's a privilege. Well, for us, the 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 Hall of Fame was was really designed to to try and call out and, and, and honor the the people who have have really moved the the dial that have changed the fabric of financial services and and the reason that we're including you within that and the you know the judges uh, the previous winners as well so it's coming from you know pretty esteemed judges in in that sense it is the, the fantastic work that you've done with Maz over the last few years I mean changing the way in which the organization works really setting the standard for world leading regulation and and I should say that this isn't just within the the Asian financial services industry in terms of everything that's happening in Singapore, but but fundamentally, I think Maz is now seen as is one of the the absolute leaders, you know, changing the way the the fabric of financial services works, kind of across the globe. So, what we'd like to do is is dig a little bit more into that. I mean, was that the job description when you picked up the you know picked up the thing in the beginning? You know, did you really think you would get to this stage? Um, but maybe if we sort of roll back to when you picked up this this job, I mean, it was. Uh, back in 2015, I believe that you joined Monetary Authority Singapore. I, I mean, w- what was the job description looked like for for the role that you're doing now? Well, it it was not clear. I mean, in fact, uh, both MAS and myself uh, had this agreement that we will figure it out together. And uh, the managing director of MAS, Mr. Ravi Menon, I still remember that uh, he was giving this speech at the uh, some law academy. After he gave his speech, I looked at his, uh, read his speech, and and I said, "This is a remarkable uh, speech you have given about the future of technology." I think I still remember uh, he responded by saying, "That's your job description." <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a speech which was perhaps few weeks before I joined, or after I agreed to join, and the speech came about. I think that kind of was my first, uh, I would say, an official uh, template of what my job is supposed to be. And of course, it has evolved every year. Every year, we do something, we discover something, and we rethink uh, how we should move forward. Because this sector, particularly, was kind of uh, way far behind when it comes to technology. And largely, the perception in the market then was, are the regulators the barrier to this change? And we got to find a way to change that perception by not talking about it, but doing something about it. I think that largely defined the role over the next six, seven years that do something about it so that there is a there's a deeper uh, reflection of our intent as we move forward. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a fascinating one, isn't it? Is that that period of time, you know, from 2015 to, to, to 2023. I mean, the 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 role of the regulator fundamentally has shifted, isn't it? And actually, the your successes has been the foundations for building greater successes as it as it has gone. But I mean, how have you seen the the role of that regulator change over that period of time? Well, I I mean, always every year I look back and my definition changes in hindsight. 
uh, well, it was not designed that way when I look back. Like, like for example, this year, when I look back to my last seven years, I look at, and I'm going to talk beyond Singapore so that it, it reflects the Asian broadly. That's where large part of our activity has happened. I look at that in a three-stage. A large part of Asian market, policymakers had to think about social inclusion as the foundation of financial services in the digital form. And because uh, existing infrastructure on social inclusion was non-existent in this market, uh, we have to think about digital identity as the foundational component before you can think about financial inclusion. So once we got that right, the digital identity piece right, whether it's in Singapore, whether it's in India, or many market, we started thinking about the financial inclusion, which kind of was built on top of that because Asia was largely a mobile native uh, uh, society when it comes to the new uh, the new consumer of this of the of the financial services, and then you have the bank account which was built on top of this uh, identity pro platforms. Uh, when it comes to financial inclusion, we, we collectively, if you look at all market, including Singapore, we start focusing on how to ensure that this bank account is actually designed in a way that ability to move money back and forth is seamless. And that's what led to remarkable success in this market when it comes to payment infrastructure, be it UPI in India or PayNow in Singapore or Do It Now in Malaysia or PromPay in Thailand. So that's the second layer of infrastructure thinking we had in this market. And then came the third layer, which is the economic inclusion how to then, you have a bank account, digitally native, you can move money back and forth seamlessly. How do we get the economic activity going? And that led to the third layer of transformation in this market where as a public policymaker, we have to intervene in terms of policy support and projects was building data exchanges, marketplaces to allow buyers and sellers to interact uh, seamlessly. How can we embed this API services into this public marketplace so that economic activity became efficient and much more connected as it as the digital economy was getting formed. And lastly, uh, how do we connect these dots across the market, across the border? So if you look at that three layer is how we responded over the last six, seven years to address this uh, transformation in this market. Well, and they really are solid foundations, aren't they? And it's an interesting point you make there because so many regions without those foundations in place essentially attempt to do, you know, shiny things, you know, like innovation, something or, and actually building them not on solid foundations means they're never going to really be transformational in that space. So, so, I mean, digging out those trenches, digging out those foundations, I mean, that must've been pretty difficult to, to start there. Look, look David, uh, you're absolutely right. You got to get the foundation right. And there is a reason why we as regulators are interested on that because we want to regulate the sector in the most efficient way. We cannot be in a situation that there are unregulated activities happening on the grab of innovation. And at the same time, we should not be a barrier to innovation. So how do we respond to that? While we are building this infrastructure, we are also thinking about the right policy, right regulation. For example, uh, when Singapore had a very matured public infrastructure called Mindfo, where we had verified data of customer, as a policy, we allowed that to be used for eKYC. So now you can see an infrastructure availability and a policy change allows you to remotely onboard customer without physically showing up, but not on some 
arbitrary algorithm-based identity, but a real solid foundation which is verifying every piece of data about a customer before they open a bank account. So this marriage of infrastructure upgrade, policy shift, and I think that could brings this together in a thoughtful way. So the risk of policy uh, policy shift is not high, while there are other risks which comes to this press by by the by the virtue of digital transformation. But that can be kind of manageable process. Do you know I I've always really um, appreciated with obviously the work that the FCA and the PRA did uh, here in the UK. It wasn't sort of hands wavy innovation. It was it was quite practical. You know, it was it was about how do we create competition in the marketplace. I, I feel like that that story with with everything that you guys have done, it's it's collaboration. Like I, I think actually you've created a probably one of the most vibrant, most collaborative ecosystems for any industry. Not you know not just financial services, but you've got people who are deeply excited, deeply passionate about solving real problems. And you've got expertise of all different types. And that, I think, is very unique given what you've done in Singapore because you've actually become, you know, the UK has done a a great job for the UK, but I think Singapore has changed the way in which, uh, you know, a a whole region functions in that sense. So, uh, again, uh, you know, it must be quite an interesting one when you look back on you know 2015 where you started to to where you've got to now you know that level of collaboration in the ecosystem that must be something that really gives you pride absolutely and and i i think this is something unquestionably uh, one of the most uh, important success factor the whole word collaboration uh, because as a regulator our natural instinct is to Look after the interest of of the of the market uh, in terms of people who we regulate, uh, not uh, necessarily look outside that regulatory regulatory framework. So having that mindset that how can we take the best out of fintechs, how can we encourage our regulated entity to collaborate, and together they can build a better system, uh, has really worked for us, and 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 that's perhaps the right thing to do. In fact, uh, David, if I can quickly add to your question, we started looking fintech in two buckets. The one bucket is we looked at uh, fintech as an enabler of existing system, and we look at fintech as, a, uh, as, a, as an entity which can provide financial services in the most innovative way. Having this two bucket in mind did help us to think differently. No, I can imagine it's uh, bringing about a little bit of structure into that, the, you know, the, the complexity there. I, I mean, you guys, and, uh, and again, I know this from the, the FCA as well, you know, they get people knocking on their doors all the time going, how did you do this? Like, you know, can you, exp- was there some sort of recipe or some sort of magic trick that you guys did? But I mean, you must get regulators from all over the world kind of asking you, how did you do this? And, and how do they repeat it? So, I mean, what, what do you think the, what would be the advice to the rest of the world when it comes to creating a, a, a fintech friendly regulator? Well, uh, David, I would start with this uh, idea of, of when we when we think about innovation, we got to think about what are the resources you have in front of you, which will make it work for you. I think the first most critical resource we use is called human resource. You got to have the right talent in your ecosystem to make it work. Ultimately, people like yourself will make that process work for you. So we got to ensure that we have the right resources in terms of talent pool. And we have almost relentlessly focused on developing the right talent pool 
for this market. And it is a very painful process. It takes time to build uh, the right skill set who can uh, who can come to this ecosystem and come to the sector and help us to move forward. So that's one. The second part I would say is that ability to experiment. I think uh, most of us, especially on the policymaker side, we don't know many things. Uh, let's be honest about it. We don't know many things, especially when it comes to technology. So instead of us trying to pretend we know everything and build a policy statement around it, it may end up in a very bad outcome. So our approach has been that, why don't we develop a culture of experimentation? We can do a lot of sandbox-based environment. We can bring things together. Together, we can work on good ideas. And we can observe risks and opportunity together. And for the risk we observe, we can come with the right policy response. So having that ability to experiment is perhaps the second critical factor for a lot of the successes. And the third piece, which I think is very important, is to think about almost a cultural thinking is around empathy. And I've been very particular about that, that the, uh, our bankers, our uh, fintechs, founders, investors, policymakers, all of us must have empathy as part of our thinking. Because unless we are empathetic to our, to our consumers' need, uh, to our society's need, very hard to think about what is the right product for the future of the current state. So having this empathy as a core cultural value does help us to think collaboratively for the customer in the right direction. So, so to me, these are the three uh, things which I would think on top of my mind when it comes to uh, explaining the success factor of where we are today. Yeah, I mean, that honesty to, as you say, I mean, everybody is always learning, isn't it? But being able to have that and having that empathy for your customers' problems is is absolutely huge. I mean, that, that sort of leadership of that, that changes cultures really quickly, doesn't it? But I mean, if we, we look at the, the you know, the, the, the sheet, though, of, of things that you've achieved, I mean, 20x growth in annual investment, you've done 20x growth in startups at growth mode, you've, you've created more than 12,000 jobs in fintech over that period of time as well, creating this ecosystem. I mean, what would be the thing looking back that you would be most proud of in that period? Um, I, I think uh, every bit of success, I, I, I love to uh, uh, think about it. But one of my most favorite uh, and most precious takeaway, I have met a remarkable set of people. I think one of the privileges of my job is that every day I meet at least a couple of very bright people. And uh, to me, that is my single biggest happiness that I can meet people who are so smarter than me and then they teach me so much things. And that, uh, that passion for change, that positivity, it's, uh, it really is infectious, isn't it, in that way as well. So, uh, all right, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up now, I'm afraid, but uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, where can people learn a little bit more about you and, and all the great work that you guys are doing at the Monetary Authority of Singapore? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do follow my LinkedIn. I mean, I do post regularly what I do. Uh, Sometimes in some months, I don't do that quite uh, regularly, but I'm quite uh, updated on my LinkedIn profile. Every time I find something exciting, I do post. Uh, so do, do, do see me th through the LinkedIn postings. Oh, of course, our website, the, the MAS website uh, does update regularly uh, some of the projects we do. 
Uh, but this are, yeah, these are the two sources you can always check out. Very good. Well, thank you so much for making the time today. Uh, we look forward to inducting you into the Hall of Fame uh, on the awards ceremony on the 15th of November. And your trophy will be in the post as well. So uh, look forward to seeing where it sits uh, in your offices in Singapore. Hey everybody, it's David Breer here, 11FS CEO and host of Fintech Insider. If you allow me, I'm going to take a few moments of your time to tell you about something that's really, really important to me personally. Every 10 minutes, somebody in the UK is given the devastating news that they have bone cancer. I've been in one of those rooms and, and heard it come out of a doctor's mouth myself to somebody that I love, and it can be a truly devastating thing for families and, and individuals. Here at 11FS, we are all joining the fight against this brutal disease. But just as we cannot fix the financial services system on our own, we're calling on all of our amazing community members to help us face into this challenge. The Bone Cancer Research Trust is our official charity partner here at 11FS. It is the only charity in the UK dedicated to this cause. They tirelessly fund groundbreaking research, life-saving awareness initiatives, and provide vital support to patients and their loved ones, all without any government funding. We make this podcast for you guys, our listeners, and it's free and always will be. But if you enjoy what we do, then please check out the Bone Cancer Research Trust's crucial work and learn how you can join us in kicking bone cancer's butt. Check it out over on 11fs.com forward slash BCRT. That's 11fs.com forward slash BCRT. As always, great to hear from Sopendu, and he's so right. Learning from amazing people around you is always a great way to be inspired. Speaking of which, last and by no means least, we have Satoya Lepokowit, who is the MD at M-Pesa Africa. Satoya Lepokowit has been at M-Pesa for over 12 years, and in that time, M-Pesa's mobile money solutions has transformed access to financial services in sub-Saharan Africa. And Satoya has been at the helm, really driving that change forward, helping M-Pesa reach more than 51 million customers and 360 billion in value transacted, moving the dial significantly for financial inclusion. Those numbers are pretty intimidatingly large, but Satoyo is incredibly humble. It really chilled when you meet him in person. He takes the incredible growth and success of M-Pesa all very much within his stride, but never takes it for granted. He joined us in the studio, fresh off a plane from Nairobi. Let's hear what he has to say. It is my pleasure to be joined by Satoyo Lepokowit, who is the Managing Director of M-Pesa Africa. How are you doing today, Satoyo? Thank you very much for, for coming into the office. Oh, thanks, David. It's great to, to be back in London and it's great to uh, come to your offices and uh, have this conversation, yeah. Very good. And for anybody who has been living under a rock for the last, you know, 20 years, the the, the story of M-Pesa is a, a really impressive one in terms of all of the changes that you've made and the things that you've brought about in terms of the the changes for the for the industry. But for audience, tell us a little bit more about M-Pesa. I first interacted with M-Pesa in 2005. We went live in 2007. Uh, at that time, I was working for uh, an American company, Chevron, but we were working with uh, Safaricom at that time on the early stages of M-Pesa. And uh, from March 2007, when M-Pesa was launched, I was there, but I joined them in 2011. But I think, you know, from moving from uh, uh, trying to solve a uh, send money home proposition, basically rolled to urban migration and how do people in urban areas send money back home. That was a concept at the beginning. And 
from there, it's it's just moved from a send money home proposition to a payments proposition to a what we see today a digital ecosystem, and it's 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 been a journey of purpose. It's been a journey of uh, solving real challenges and opportunities uh, within the market. Yeah. Yeah, solving challenges for customers and and as you grow as a business, solving those challenges as a business as well. Because it's, uh, I mean, it's no uh, mean feat running a business for that period of time and all of the changes that come with that. But we'll get into that uh, a little bit more as we go. Um, we're having this conversation today as you've been named amongst the 11FS Hall of Fame cohort for 2023, which is which is super cool. So congratulations on on being part of that and congratulations on on being part of the awards. I think that David, you know, it's it's really humbling, and uh, it's it's a testament to everybody who's worked in Mpesa, and uh, this award is for for them, both past, uh, I mean, both current and past uh, people on Mpesa, and for us, it's 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 super exciting, uh, and for me personally, uh, it's a journey that uh, for almost thirteen years now, but looking forward to. You know, twenty more, uh, because uh, I say I always tell my team and everywhere I go, I say I got the greatest job in the world uh, because every single day we make an impact in people's lives, and that's that's what drives me and that keeps me going. Yeah, it's a great reason to get out of bed every day, isn't it? In that yeah, sense, yeah. but uh, um, so the the Hall of Fame is designed specifically to call out and honor those individuals around the world who we believe have changed the fabric of financial services. It's the the purpose of Eleven FS in its first instance. The reason why we're including you in this year's cohort is exactly as you said. It's the fantastic work that Empesa has done, where Empesa's mobile money solution really has transformed the access to financial services in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and you've been at the helm of the the business over these last 12 years, which is an amazing feat in its in itself. Um, you've helped Impesa to reach more than 51 million customers and $360 billion in value transacted. I mean, that is huge and, and really clearly moving the dial significantly for uh, financial inclusion, as, uh, as you say. So I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. I mean, uh, you know, roll us back to 2011. I mean, you've just started. I mean, obviously, as you say, you you knew the business a little bit before starting in 2011. But when you started, I mean, was that the goal? I mean, did you expect to be here 12 years later? And you know, are you like, well, we're nearly there yet? Uh, I think you know when I walked into office in 2011, um, it was strange because there's no job description uh, and there's no place where you can go and land this. Um, so at the beginning was more when I was speaking to the team was more how do we roll out more and more products and services because the challenges were there, uh, the opportunities were many. So the target initially was every month we roll out a new product. Uh, we didn't care whether it was going to be successful or not, but we were trying just to uh, solve as many problems as as, as we as we could. And over that, um, and that's the time we were moving from uh, send money home to a payment platform. Uh, and this meant just connecting billers. Uh, we rolled outside our merchant uh, uh, payment solutions in uh, 2012. We were solving uh, remittance problems because remittance to Africa was about 15, 10 to 15% of the value. And then when the SDG goals came up, that was one of the biggest focus we want was to bring the remittance down to 3%. And we've done that uh, ahead of time. And so th- it was just a continuous... Uh, you know, it's like, a, it's, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. And for me, that was, you know, every single day we, the team was dedicated to uh, solving the problems that were, that, that were there. Yeah. And, and, and we still do that till today. Well, it, that's interesting. I mean, that that sort of focus on, you know, shipping codes, making things happen, you know, putting it in the hands of customers. That I mean, that's, it's sort of startup 101, isn't it? You know, making 
the metronome of change be the critical thing? I mean, a lot of what you've said, it feels like you're quite restless, you know, in terms of the view of, well, we're not done. We're even, you know, 12 years in, it sounds like you're still hungry for for more change and having more of an impact. I think uh, I always say we're still on the runway uh, and MPS has it yet taken off. Um, so we've done a lot f- from the side of the consumers uh, side of it. Uh, just say, no, actually, now we just released our results. So we had 57 million customers and this is 30 day active uh, customers. Uh, and we provide them from, you know, payment solutions, lending solutions, savings solutions, wealth management solutions. Um, basically, you can do anything um, uh, from, from a customer side. But what does we put our big focus now is on businesses. How do you digitize SMEs? And that's a big part because, uh, you know, seven out of 10 jobs uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa are created by SMEs. Over 40% of the GDPs of the countries we're operating are SME-led. So so we've, we've, we look at businesses in sort of three main areas. So the large corporates, this is uh, the Coca-Cola, Diageo's government, and we've digitized that in a big way. And then we look at the SMEs and then we look at the micro SMEs. So the SME and the micro SMEs is, is our big focus because this is the first time uh, we've digitized SMEs globally and it's it's been done by not focusing on collection, it's been focused on payments. And if you if you give an example, if you if I swap my car today in London at a merchant store, uh, the money doesn't actually go to the merchant, it actually goes to the acquiring bank and there's a settlement T plus one, T plus two. For us is how do we get the money as quickly as possible to the merchant? So every single payment on M-Pesa, the owner of the business has that. So they can see the inflows, outflows, make the payments. And that's become um, what we call solving the payment problem and not necessarily the collection problem. Because we hear cash is bad, actually cash is not that bad. It's just it's the most it's the most difficult thing to do is how do you make payments beyond once you got the cash and that's what we've just we've managed to do. Today we have over five million businesses that uh, actually use M-Pesa. Wow! And over sixty percent of the of the money now in the ecosystem is not customer funds; it's actually business funds, and that's sort of what we 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 we're doing at the moment here. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's amazing. I mean it feels like over the this period of time, then the the sort of role of M-Pesa in the space is is really changed, hasn't it? In terms of, uh, I mean, you were building capabilities in the market because they didn't exist at the very beginning. And now almost you've got the ability to to keep building out what that ecosystem looks like. I, I guess something else in that as well is is your role has, has changed. I mean, how have you found, you know, building a um, the the growth from an employee perspective must have been as impressive as the growth from a, a customer perspective. I, I think you know we've moved now from one perspective. We're now more playing a platform play. Yeah. So we've got probably ten products. Actually, it's about twelve products now that are used by over ten million people every single month. So I struggle at times to to identify what is Mpesa, uh, other than say it's a brand because. We've got the fintech and the lending business. We've got the savings business. We've got the payments business. We've got the uh, the e-commerce part of the of, of the business, and all this could be standalone businesses. Um, but what we've done is is as it has evolved, is opened a platform a lot more for the uh, the developer community and the fintech community to play. And this was and um, something that came up by accident because we put uh, there was a lot of demand for uh, an open API platform, and we put it there, and um, over about a year or two, we discovered there were 30,000 developers on our ecosystem. Wow. Today, we have over 75,000 developers. And I always say, we have more innovation outside M-Pesa than there is in M-Pesa. And now we've 
not only the business side, but now the developer ecosystem is what we are really uh, focusing on to try and, you know, make our APIs as simple as possible to connect. And then how do we support those businesses on our platform, given we know the customers on both sides. So I don't need to build products and services for the SMEs. There are people out there who can build and it's all about just uh, plugging it in and offering to our, to our businesses. So that has changed and uh, from the business side, from, uh, from a personal perspective, it's, it's 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 been quite um, a change in uh, how I manage the teams. Moving from actually just being very operational, let's say in managing Kenya, Tanzania, to playing more of a group role right now. Mm. Uh, with, we're in seven markets uh, now. Ethiopia is where we are really focusing on our latest market, and then it becomes more about ensuring. We build once and deploy enterprise for all our markets. So yeah. we, we, we bring on our efficiencies. We're bringing um, our expertise, our center of excellence uh, around around it. And we're trying to, we're building one MPESA, one team across our footprint. And that's, so the roles, uh, it's, it's, it's quite different uh, right now uh, from probably two, three years ago. Yeah. Do you, do you miss those early days? I mean, there's, there's something, um, there's something really uh, amazing about, it's quite intoxicating when you, you know, the word that I keep hearing is, is purpose. When you've got that, that purpose in everybody's heads and actually everybody's aligned behind those things, actually it is very intoxicating, isn't it? But how have you managed to keep that uh, concentration of that purpose as you've scaled the business? I think it's 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 just how from from how we induct the, uh, our teams to it is front and center every single day. So we never started a business case. We start as what problem are we trying to solve? What's the target market? What what what's going to be the impact? Uh, is it aligned to uh, our ESG goals? Is it aligned to our SDG goals? Is it aligned to is it making an a deep impact in in into society and we strongly believe the society success will be successful. So it's purpose, people, and then profit is a byproduct of it. So, and that's in every single product that we do. Uh, when we, whether we're whiteboarding, that's there. So any new any new staff member comes in, they find that culture, they find that um, uh, that the openness and freedom for them to innovate uh, into it. We interact a lot with our customers. Um, they are part of our development process. We interact a lot with the regulator. Uh, the regulator is, a, is an integral part of how we develop our products and services. They know what we're going to do in 12 months. Uh, and that's uh, by being more open, by being more um, uh, vulnerable in, in, in things that we do, uh, then that's sort of made us successful. But also uh, partnership is a big part of it. Uh, you know, areas where we're not strong, we're very uh, quick to work with partners on uh, AML, KYC. So we work with the Googles, Microsoft, Visa of this world uh, to help us with uh, certain things that uh, we can't do. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, startups are, are, are given the instruction that you should be able to pitch your features and functionality in the first, you know, three minutes of any meeting. But actually, it's the businesses that actually convey their purpose, their their value, their, you know, what they believe that have a tendency to stand the test of time um, and have much more impact on the, the you know, the objective that they had than others. So it's, it's a little bit... Um, almost um, counter-conventional wisdom, isn't it? Uh, I, I find we often talk about what we believe rather than necessarily what we do, because actually if you can align on those belief things with people, Correct. actually the relationship you build with them is is much stronger in that way. So, um, but, but I guess to your point, the I mean, the, the impact that 
uh, MPESAs actually had from an overall economy perspective? I mean, you know, you were originally talking about individuals and now you're talking about, you know, GDP and businesses. I mean, the, there's sort of no limit to the impacts that you can have. No, 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 there's, you know, we acknowledge the role that we play in the economies which operate. operate. Uh, in most of our economies, 40% uh, of the GDPs of the countries flow through our platform. Mm. Uh, in countries like Kenya, it's well of close to 70% of the GDP of the country. And but we do acknowledge the role that we are. Uh, we're not that we play a bigger role for the country and for the society. And as long as, long as we keep on acknowledging that, then... Yeah, it helps us invest in the right platforms, uh, whether they're scalable, the security of the platform, uh, stability of the platform. Because if you're in Kenya, for example, and you impress us down for, even for you know five minutes, uh, it, it impacts the entire uh, economy. The stock exchange runs on it. If you if you come, uh, the visa uh, processing fees run, run on it. Um, fuel stations, hospitals, schools. Uh, you know, so it's 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 that awareness that uh, helps us uh, ensure that we we put the right investments uh, in it. We operate on on five nine, that's ninety nine point nine nine nine, which is six minutes of planned or unplanned downtime in a year. So, uh, MPES is operating the same level of service level as Visa and Mastercard globally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we are we are, uh, we are uh, still a small company, I say, from a technical perspective. But the impact that it has in, in the society is is, is 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 immense. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that's a. Uh our responsibility, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, business critical infrastructure is one thing. I mean, country level critical infrastructure is a, is another, isn't it? So, yeah. uh, I mean, that uh, that doesn't seem to phase you though. That, yeah, I mean, you uh, you're quite um, understated with that. Uh, I mean, more broadly as well as a as a leader of the business. I mean, uh, being calm and sort of confident with that change is probably a big part of it. Yeah, it's it's, it's something that. Uh... You know, as long as, we, and I strongly believe that as long as we're doing the right thing, we invest the right technologies, we're investing. We know how the best technology, we had great execu execution, but we, we ensure that uh, not only ourselves, but our partners, so our technology partners, um, uh, our business, the, the ecosystem that, that surrounds MPESA understands the, um, the same level or has the same level of um you know, understanding of the impact that it that it has uh, on, onto the country, and uh, you know, it's it's sometimes it's scary uh, to be honest, uh, but uh, we we remain true to our purpose and we remain truly grounded uh, in what we're trying to achieve, and 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 that's sort of been uh, helped us through. Yeah, and I I guess sort of looking back over you know the the time that you. You've been there, you know, the the twelve, nearly thirteen years now. Uh, what are you most proud of? Well, I think several products that uh, we've I'd be, you know, I'd say at top of mind. Uh, one is digitizing the SMU now, merchants play. Uh, that's one. I think building the super app uh, for for both consumers and 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 um, uh, businesses is, is another. Uh, the first time we we digitized uh, and enabled uh, people to open bank accounts from their mobile phone. Today, over 40 million bank accounts have been opened through M-Pesa, uh, which enables them to, to save and borrow. And it's a, it's, it's a store value. Uh, but I think the most important for me uh, was a product that we launched for visually impaired. So in a country like Canada, there are 4 million people who are visually impaired who use M-Pesa. 
So how do visually impaired people have access, you know, with a with a phone and they can't see? Uh, and that was something that, you know, was very challenging. They can give money, but they're not sure uh, whether the, the digital money is the same. Um, and then the PIN numbers and so on and so forth. So uh, we worked with a South Korean company to build uh, the first dot braille watch. Uh, and we heavily subsidized uh, it for, for visually impaired people. Then we went into uh, IVR, interactive voice recognition for visually impaired. And that's been, you know, one of, to see the changes in how um, that that's segment of the population received the product. I think that's the most, um, the one that I'm most proud of. Yeah. And I mean, you, you talked a second ago about the, the sort of direction of travel from, I mean, the original thesis was all about financial inclusion, but actually the sort of moving from sort of, you know, inclusion or, you know, um, survive, you know, access to thriving financial health. I mean, that, that seems of all the things that you're doing, you're, you're orchestrating businesses or orchestrating people's financial life. That is a, that's a huge thing there, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, no, the beginning was, you know, driving financial inclusion in, uh, you know, a market. So between 20 and 30% uh, in terms of financial inclusion in that moved to now uh, between 75 and almost 90%. And then, so it, it shifted now is, okay, people have basic financial services, but their lives are still not improving. So how do we uh, move more into financial health? Then it's the whole life cycle. COVID taught us uh, a big part of that. Uh, we need to focus on that because of the shocks that happen. And uh, that's a big part of what we are really uh, pushing. We've gone now beyond, so now working with governments uh, to to look at what they're trying to solve for their citizen. Good example is in Kenya, where we built the whole fertilizer subsidy program for the government and over 5 billion farmers got subsidized uh, fertilizer all via their mobile uh, phone. They could order, they could make a payment, and uh, uh, they could pick it from the closest store that they, they that was there. Um, we've looked at, uh, you know, the, also supporting government in their... Uh, financial health product. Uh, so they've, they launched their own Hustler Fund uh, initiative in Kenya, which has over 20 million customers uh, using the service. And that's more driven towards, they've lowered significantly the cost of uh, lending, but they also have upped uh, the returns on, on savings. And uh, so those are sort of uh, the different things that uh, we're trying to do from an ecosystem perspective, yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. It is a, an amazing story. You know, globally, people have learned so much from from what you guys have uh, achieved. And, you know, it feels like actually, to your point earlier on, you're, you're just really sort of scratching the surface now on on the things that you really want to get to doing. So thank you so much for joining us today. I think we'll definitely get you back on FinTech Insider to talk about it more and more as, as those things progress. But again, congratulations for being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, for anybody listening to this who, who wants to uh, learn more, where can they learn more about you and, and all the great work that you guys are doing at M-Pesa? No, I think the uh, M-Pesa Africa, uh, all our social media handles uh, are M-Pesa Africa, and uh, you'll get to know what's happening not only um, uh, within the M-Pesa footprint, but also we do talk about where we see payments, uh, e-commerce, uh, social commerce, and so on uh, mm -hmm. uh, going in the world. And we're excited about the future. As I say, we are, we are just still on the runway yet. Fantastic. Well, uh, congratulations again. Thank you. And uh, thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, David. 
What a great conversation and an amazing story that Mpesa still considers themselves on the runway. What a great attitude to have. And on that note, this does conclude our very special Hall of Famers edition for 2023. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show as well as always if you want to join the conversation find us on social media just search for 11fs or fintech insider or email us on podcasts at 11fs.com thank you very much for listening everybody goodbye